Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of our podcast series called Catching the Last Wave. I'm Giulio Fabris and I will be your host today. In this episode, we are honored to have as our guest Janani Vivekananda, Head of Program Climate Diplomacy and Security at Adelphi, where she specializes in climate change and peace building. As a peacebuilding practitioner with a background in peace and disaster risk reduction field research and operations, the aim of her work is to connect grand realities with policy processes and vice versa to promote the linked goal of peace and climate action. Her work to date involves designing and conducting participatory and inclusive research on climate-related security risks and responses, promoting risk-informed responses and increasing the capacity of governments and civil society to integrate climate and conflict risks into policies and field projects. Janani holds a master's degree from the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, University of London, and from the University of Oxford. Together with Janani, we will explore Adelphi work on climate change and security risks, with a particular focus on the Pacific and on their initiative Weathering Risk and exploring how climate security differs in different contexts around the world. Thank you, Janani, for being here with us today. It is an honor to have you as part of our podcast series, and we are really looking forward to hearing your inputs and your experience as a senior expert on climate change, peace building, and climate-related security risks at the international level. So please, let me start with the first question. If you can please tell us about your work on climate change, peace building and climate-related security risks at Adelphi, maybe please can you give us a quick overview of the project that you're working on at the moment? Thanks so much for having me, Julia. It's great to be able to talk to you today. So yes, I am the head of program on climate diplomacy and security at Adelphi, which is a Berlin-based think tank where we've been working on this nexus between climate, peace and security for about 15 years now. And what we do within our program is push forward the state of the art of thinking and operations around climate impact on peace and security. So we do this through a range of approaches. We conduct research and through partnerships with climate experts, conflict experts, those that know about hydrology and disaster risk reduction. It's it's a very complex, multifaceted issue. So one one of our principles in, in working on this issue is to not try to attempt to understand the whole by ourselves and be experts in everything, but rather know the questions that need to be asked and then be able to bring together requisite expertise that already exists and bring that together and then be able to analysis based on the expertise of those that really do know about this. So I think that's that's an important aspect of this. It is complex. People often say it's too complex to be able to deal with, but nobody needs to have all the answers. Rather, you need to just know where to find the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to bring together. So we do this research analysis, and then based on this, we can provide trainings, we can provide tools to support decision-making at the strategic level, you know, for policymakers, but also at at the operational level for people working on peace, on disaster risk reduction, on resilience, on development, people working on the ground to be able to give them very practical, easy-to-use, easy-to-access tools to help them use this knowledge to make their programming better, to address climate-related security risks. And another important part of what we do is bring people together, connecting the dots, trying to complete this very complex jigsaw puzzle. 
And an important part of this is dialogue and cooperation and coordination. So we really try to convene spaces for people to come together to talk, share expertise. So one example is the Berlin Climate Security Conference, which we've been convening for the past three years, which is these to come together from around the world to share and learn. And another example of this is an initiative called Weathering Risk, which is a multilateral initiative, brings together climate impact data to provide localised granular analysis of the ways that climate affects peace and security in specific contexts or on specific sectors like food production or mobility and migration. And using this analysis, we provide capacity support tools, we convene dialogues, Thank you, Jahani. Thank you for this great uh, overview, and it's great to hear more about uh, your work on research and analysis, which is uh, the base for decision-making, to support the decision-making and policies on disaster risk reduction, resilience, and especially I found really interesting the, this approach, you know, give practical tools to policymakers and people on the ground to address climate-related security risks. You already mentioned the weathering risk, this very important initiative that you're working on. So just let me complete this question by asking you, uh, how did it come about and what is trying to achieve? I know you just gave an overview, but if you want to add a little bit more, especially how did it come about? So weathering risk came about on the back of quite an interesting process. The process started back in 2015. Uh, oh, no, maybe 2014 when the G7 foreign ministers met. It was under the German presidency back then, and they, for the first time ever, decided or agreed that climate change was a foreign policy priority. And they could see that this was important. It was affecting foreign policy, the foreign policy agenda. But they realized at that level that beyond this top line narrative that climate is a threat multiplier, they really didn't know much more below that to be able to really get a handle of the issue to know what to do about it. How does it affect foreign policy? How does it affect things on the ground? So the G7 commissioned a study to unpack what this means. What does it mean that climate is a threat multiplier? And this study was called A New Climate for Peace. This is something that Adelphi led back in 2015 with uh, an excellent consortium of partners from different G7 member states. And this study unpacked the different pathways through, through which climate change can affect peace and security. We identified seven pathways. I would encourage listeners to, to go and have a look. You can find it if you um, look at newclimateforpeace.org. So I don't have to run through them all now. But one of the recommendations then, based on these pathways through which climate can affect peace and security, we identified a number of, of next steps, of recommendations that the G7 could take. And one of these was to start to start to do climate security risk analysis in particular contexts, not just looking at this as a conceptual theoretical issue, but rather looking at what does this look like? What do these pathways look like in specific contexts? And on the back of this, in 2019, Germany thought they want to maintain this kind of leadership role on climate security. And the then foreign minister announced this initiative, Weathering Risk, to start this process of global climate security risk and foresight analysis, looking at what climate impacts will do to peace and security. And so that's where this, this initiative started and is a multilateral initiative with a number of, um, of supporting member states and partners. And the reason it's so pivotal, in my view, is because sustaining peace in this context that we're in, in this highly 
changeable volatile climate requires decisions that are informed by climate security risks. We know now that the climate crisis is one of the most serious risks to peace and stability, but we don't quite see this urgency reflected in peace building and peacemaking processes. So I think this comes at a really important moment to really try to ensure that going forward, both peace and climate policies are climate security risk informed, and that this information is localized. It's granular. It rather looks specifically at how these interlinkages between climate change and instability play out at the most local level possible. So we're trying to build up this systematic evidence base through this project, through weathering risk, to bridge this gap in knowledge, to bridge this gap in policy and programming confidence so that we can really try to move from this narrative that we have, that climate is a threat to peace, to actually being able to inform appropriate context-relevant climate security reform solutions. Thank you, Janani. It is great to know, say, the history of this great initiative. I would say it's one of the most important, most important at the international level regarding climate security. And it's great to know how you started, you know, treating climate change as a threat multiplier and analyzing those linkages between climate change and stability. And indeed, there is the need, especially here in the Pacific, to bridge the gap of knowledge and explain how climate change uh, is a threat to peace and stability. And please let me jump to the third question that I have for you, which is still about this initiative, Weathering Risk. Please let me ask you, what is Weathering Risk working on in the Pacific and what is the initiative hoping to do with the results? Weathering Risk is trying to inform or build up this evidence base with localized analysis. So we want to ensure the the knowledge that we're generating, the data that we're generating is as downscaled as possible but that also it's uh, forward-looking. It's not simply looking backwards at historical data, but it's also looking forward using scenarios and modelling because the future will not look like the past. So only looking at the past will not help us as much as it should when we want to inform kind of future-proof climate security risk-informed solutions. So with the work in the Pacific, we're taking the, the methodology that we've developed under weathering risk with our partners at PIC, and we are applying this to develop climate risk profiles at the most downscale possible level. So we're looking at 50 by 50 square kilometre grid cells to look at the, the climate impacts and then modelling around that to look forward, look at what the climate is going to be in the kind of next three to 10 years. And then we're, we're using very localized stakeholder focused methods such as interviews and expert consultations focusing on three atolls in the region to try to get a very, very granular, rich understanding of the social, political, economic, human security issues at play to really get an understanding of the kind of peace and security context. And then using the weathering risk methodology, we will bring this together to understand the climate security risks. So looking at the climate impact data alongside the human security analysis to identify where there are very context-specific risk pathways, but importantly, not simply looking for risks, but also looking at dimensions of resilience. Where are there issues around livelihoods or economic security or political stability, which actually give people a dimension of resilience and reinforced and scaled up to better address some of these um, climate impact or climate security risks. Because this is very important. It's not simply about identifying 
the risks. This can only get us so far. If we're not looking at resilience as well, we won't really be what well, we're only looking at one side of the picture, and we will miss really important and uh, excellent opportunities that are already there that can be supported to build up people's ability, people and, and states and um, communities' abilities to deal with these linked risks. So we'll then, through this analysis, try to build up a, a very process-oriented, integrated risk assessment of three focus countries in the Pacific Island region. And then using this, we will identify the, the risks and the resilience dimensions. We'll also use this knowledge to provide policy recommendations, local and regional policymakers in the Pacific region very practical, trying to identify entry points for intervention in the region and particular modes that they should be working, modes of engagement. And we'll also try to inform the the more strategic political level. So try to use this analysis to inform practical steps for the implementation of the the excellent Bowie Declaration, which could be better implemented when it comes to climate security risk. So we'll try to offer some practical guidance there and like I said also to inform trainings and capacities within uh, relevant stakeholders in the region and convene dialogues so that there's more learning and sharing not just within the region not just within the Pacific region but also bringing some of this knowledge and expertise that exists within the Pacific region and plugging it into the international discourse. Thank you Janani. It's great to know about uh, your work in the Pacific and indeed it is one of the regions that I believe needs this type of work the most as probably the most affected region by climate change. Here the risks, the climate security risks are threatening the very existence of Pacific people, especially on atoll nations. So it is great to know about your work and also the approach that you are taking in achieving those results that you mentioned namely the inclusive consultation and the practical approach to uh, not only identifying those risks, but also focus on the resilience that will allow Pacific people to have a sustainable future. And also, uh, I really appreciate the future-oriented approach, not only analyzing, but also propose practical solutions to decision makers. Thank you for that. And for the next question, let me, let's say, take advantage of your international expertise, because this podcast, we always analyze and we talk about climate security challenges and risks in the Pacific. But it would be great to know from you, how do the climate security challenges in the Pacific differ or relate to those in other regions where weathering risk is active? All contexts differ. um, And what we find is that the climate security discussion, uh, particularly at the international policy level, has been somewhat overly focused on Africa and overly focused on sub-Saharan Africa, the Sahel in particular. And here we hear about dynamics or climate security risks such as conflicts, increasing conflicts between pastoralists and farmers. Of course, these risks are very, very far removed from the types of risks that are facing Pacific states. Uh, And therefore, there's a a risk that the international discourse on climate security becomes less relevant 
to Pacific states and processes like the implementation of the Bowie Declaration. So we think it's incredibly important that we are able to do this work in the Pacific region, developing brand new climate risk profiles for Kiribati, for the Royal Marshall Islands, for Tuvalu, and importantly, doing this through these partnerships in close collaboration with the UNDP country teams and local partners, including civil society organizations, to ensure that these risk profiles are very, very low locally formed so that we can identify risks, or maybe some of them are similar, but context-specific risks that are facing communities in the Pacific region. One risk is that without this, they get easily reduced to a a top-line idea that it's simply about territorial integrity, about sea level rise and and the loss of territory of these islands. But what we find is that as you look more closely, there are issues of uh, of drought, of, of food insecurity. It's not simply about loss of territory. It's, it's also about the fact that there's rainfall variability, which means that it's it's much harder for, to grow crops or to, to ensure the nutrition of communities, particularly of children and the elderly in these regions. It's also about livelihoods. Um, so I don't want to um, go into all the specifics, but the, the key point is that we need to ensure that the international policy discourse on climate security is informed by differential climate security risks across all the different contexts being affected by uh, climate security. And so I think it's, re- it's very important that, the, that these perspectives from the Pacific are fed in to ensure that the international processes that as discussions at the UN Security Council or UN Secretary General reports that are being tabled regular reporting from the UN Secretary-General, various uh, processes under the UN General Assembly, and importantly in forthcoming uh, COP processes under the climate negotiations, that they also acknowledge and can uh, speak to the specific climate security risks and response requirements of atoll nations, in particular in the Pacific Island region in general, to ensure that they're, they're much better informed and thus better able to reflect on the requirements of this. And we hope that through weathering risk, we can we can help with this process. Thank you, Janet, for mentioning those climate security risks that are affecting the Pacific and the work of Adelphi and the UNDP. It is great to also know about the rest of the world. As I mentioned before, we don't really have the chance to know about the, the other uh, region, especially Africa, uh, that you can sub-Saharan Africa. It's uh, great to know about that. Uh, let me ask you just uh, our final question for today. So when we zoom out to the international policy level, what kind of processes is weathering risk involved in and what is the role of the Pacific states in these processes? At the international policy level, I think one of the big milestones last year was the effort to move towards a global UN Security Council resolution on climate security. This stalled in December 2021 because of a Russian veto, but there is still hope that at the UN Security Council there will be some process towards either keeping that momentum, either through keeping the space for high-level debates or even another global resolution on climate security. And the role 
of Wuthering Risk is to try to keep these conversations informed through through this analysis that we're developing to ensure that these, no matter what level the discussions are happening at, at the highest level, they still need to reflect the re- realities of the ground on the ground. They need to reflect these context-specific pathways, the ways that in which at real people are being affected by youth risk. So we endeavour to feed in the the analysis from the specific research from the analysis, these consultations, these dialogues that were convening in the region with, with local actors, with civil society, with local government, uh, to ensure that these perspectives are reflected in whatever is going on at the at the UN Security Council, for example. And it could be that we can then try to inform Security Council member states through the informal expert group better understand the risks around climate security. It's the informal expert group on climate and security. So we can do things like offer expert briefings uh, and we would hope to be able to, to do this once we have findings from this project on the Pacific to inform the IEG, the informal expert group of the Security Council on Climate Security. There's also a group of friends, uh, which is actually co-chaired by uh, Pacific Island State, Nauru, which is another space for the UN specifically to discuss climate security. So the group of friends on climate security is another place to increase knowledge and understanding of these risks. And again, this is something where we would seek to, to bring the Pacific perspective, convene a, a conversation to support learning and sharing. And there's also a number of other kind of multilateral geopolitical spaces. There's the G7 process. There are other spaces, particularly in, within the peace and peace and security sphere, where we would again, try to bring a better understanding of some of these climate security risks affecting the Pacific, things like the Munich Security Conference, where you know, perhaps these conversations are not or these, these localised so well understood. And we are also working to convene under weathering risk and also under broader uh, Adelphi work on climate diplomacy and security. We convene the space. And again, that's a, an important space for the climate security community. And there is another space that we would be keen to bring more attention to through the work of this project um, with UNDP on the Pacific. And maybe the final thing that I would flag is bringing this this learning to the, the climate community, the climate negotiations specifically with an eye to COP27. Thank you, Janani. Thank you for your answer and uh, great to know, especially the work that you're undertaking. I would say that would be the best result that we can hope for a uh, resolution on climate security. Yeah, we in another episode, we mentioned already a little bit the history of, you know, climate security at the UN Security Council. And it's, uh, it is great to know you're working on that and, and all the advocacy work at the international level. It, I think it's very important to address climate security in general, not only for the Pacific, but uh, for the entire planet. I think it is very important that climate security, it is recognized uh, at the international policy level. Thank you so much, uh, Janani. I think we are done for today. It was great to hear from you. I learned a lot and I'm sure our audience learned a lot too from you. So thank you for that. And I just want to conclude the, this episode. If you have a final message for our audience. Thank you very much, Julio. Um, it's a real pleasure to talk to you today. One, one last thing. It's incredibly important that climate security is understood as 
part of the conversation within the the climate negotiations so far. Climate security has been absent. It's been seen as separate. There's been some fear about bringing this into the COP negotiation process for various reasons, um, perhaps concern about you know bringing security and bringing kind of the military into this, or securitizing the issue, or maybe diverting attention from the kind of what people see as the the main negotiation tracks. But I think through this work, through this localized analysis, such as what we're doing on the Pacific, it becomes incredibly clear that these are not separate issues. You can't be talking about adaptation or loss and damage with understanding the additional risks and opportunities around around climate security risks. You can't think about loss, climate-related loss and damages, without thinking of the additional losses that would be playing out uh, if you add conflict and insecurity and instability uh, to the to these interactions of climate on on people and the human systems. So that those working on the negotiations can understand that these are not separate, they're not kind of something that needs to be discussed in a different track, but rather a core part of the COP negotiations and are key to ensuring a sustainable outcome to COP in the face of both changing climate and to advance sustainable peace. Thank you, Janani, for your last message. I couldn't agree more on the fact that, especially having been here in the Pacific, I couldn't agree more on the fact that climate change and security and stability are not separate issues. And uh, yeah, maybe we can work more on make the people understand how those uh, issues are interconnected and are not separate issues. And um, very interesting to hear about, you know, why it is kind of hard to bring uh, climate security in the international negotiations like COP and, COP, and hopefully COP27 will include climate security because of the, the security aspects that you mentioned. So thank you. Thank you very much about that. This concludes our podcast for today. And thank you again, Janani. It was great to have you here. And we're looking forward to know more about your work, about the work of Adelphi in the Pacific, and hopefully on the progress that uh, it will achieve on climate security. Thank you for that. And stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.